Welcome to another episode of our deep dive where we take a deeper look at the passage, the message, the topic of focus from the weekend. Uh, my name is Brad, joined this week by Pastor Chris from our St. Charles campus. Yeah. Chris, it's been a minute, man. It has been a minute, but I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we've uh, <clears throat> just over the last couple of weeks, you know, last month or so, we relaunched the deep dive as we're juggling uh, new responsibilities, kind of a different landscape. Um, it's been nice for me on an editing standpoint to have just two voices on the uh, on the podcast. However, I think there's something missed yeah. without the third. So yeah. anyway, love having you back here. Um, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 29 and 30 today. Uh, we've got kind of a wild passage as we look at this idea. Um, the handle identified, right, was marriage. Right. And obviously not everybody is married. Um, I do think there's something for everyone in this passage. Uh, however, this is a kind of a funky passage <laughs> if you think about uh, everything that's, that goes on in it. Yeah. Um, but before we before we do that, um, I want to just kind of use this opportunity to kind of talk about some current events that are going on in our world. Yeah. Um, you know, just last night, we're recording this on a, <clears throat> on a Thursday morning. You know, yesterday, uh, Twitter and social media is blowing up about um, events going on in mm-hmm. Ukraine, uh, involving Ukraine, involving Russia. And I think it'd be good for us as Christians, um, mm-hmm. as um, people, to just kind of take a step back before we kind of jump onto our, you know, keyboard courage uh, yeah. places. And uh, what do we? How do we think about events like this? Um, what do? What does the gospel require for us? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then on the other hand, like, I mean, I've even seen you know some of the stuff on social media of like, oh. End times, into the world, Armageddon, here we go. And uh, I, obviously it's not our place to even say, like, that's definitely a yes or definitely a no. But yeah. Chris, would love just any initial thoughts you have on, yeah, the situation involving Russia, Ukraine, and our responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so many thoughts. So uh, many thoughts, right? Um, I think one thought is just in any current event or big events like this, especially that are taking place on the world stage, what does it look like for us as, you know, Western 21st century American Christians to just have um, some humility? Mm. Um, because it seems like social media and the online platform has given us, even if it's very small, some kind of platform to voice our opinion. And often I see people with very little to no expertise voicing very um, bold opinions about yeah. whatever is happening in the world. Um, and so there's kind of this, um, there's this real temptation to feel like we know, or we have the insider track or, and then to use kind of this social media or online platform as, oh, now I, I, I need to go share my, mm-hmm. um, perceived expertise or opinion with the world. So I think anything like this, like we just need to have a lot of humility and, um, but also, like, you know, it is jarring to see, you know, images on the TV of, mm-hmm. you know, explosions and, you know, invasion. And so um, I even saw a shot of a group of people in a prayer circle, like on their knees, like a dozen people praying. In the snow. Um, in the snow. Yeah. yeah in the, these, like, massive coats in the snow uh, for, you know, for, I'm assuming, peace in their city and their country. So, um yeah, I, I think we have a lot of have to have a lot of humility, and then really go and petition the Lord to say, mm-hmm. 
wow, we have brothers and sisters in Christ Mm -hmm. that are in these cities, in these regions, in these countries. They're going to see, they're going to have a front row seat to any um, violence and pain and hurt that comes out of this. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just for their safety, for their perseverance, for their families and their well-being, um, I think we we first go to petition the Lord and um, maybe we hold our, you know, our you know, current event opinions, maybe fairly loosely with just mm-hmm. some humility and, and know that um, we don't have the whole picture, but from the picture we do have, we can mm-hmm. um, enter into prayer and concern and care for these people in, in whatever way that looks like. Yeah. I mean, it, as far as the panic button on the end time thing, it's, you know, Okay, let's just go back to Matthew 24. Like, we don't know the day or the hour. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't know mm-hmm. the day or the hour. And so, we're not going to. So we can live faithfully today. We can live faithfully tomorrow. And, um, you know, we can walk in the things God has called us to well, of love God and love people. Everything falls back into those two larger buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think to spend a ton of energy making calculations on trying to figure out the day or the hour when we've been promised we won't know the day or the hour mm-hmm. – um, probably our energy could be focused on a lot better things like mm-hmm. loving God and loving people. Yeah, that's really good. I think, um, you know, it is interesting. We like to make these just bold, general claims um, when reality – so my wife lived in Russia for about a year, um, mm-hmm. her final year in college. Uh, she did a, a foreign exchange kind of program with it. And um, so she knows a lot of Russian people mm-hmm. who are wonderful and yeah. loving and – um, it's a Russia is a big country, mm-hmm. and so it's it's easy for us to make these big claims of oh Russia's up to Russia stuff, right? And like yes, the Russians as a whole, like would they even claim that? You yeah, know? I don't I don't know, and <sighs> I don't know. Uh, we're not there, you know. We have little news snippets and articles and yeah. 24 characters or less tweets uh, and that, were, that are forming our opinions. And so I think a good reminder, Chris, I'm glad you said that um, we need to pray. We need to pray for, um, yeah. for, the, for the people. Uh, there are brothers and sisters in Ukraine. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia. Yeah. Um, there are humans who bear God's image in both places. Yeah. And um, yeah, so there's just a lot that we just don't know. And so I do think that we, we need to pray uh, for them. And in, on the end times side of things, it's interesting. I, I remember being in college and um, reading certain texts in the Bible that I had probably never read before. Mm-hmm. And YouTube was just kind of like beginning its boom. And there yeah. were uh, plenty of videos of end times prophecy and books coming out interpreting events, you know, right. even, you know, 10 years ago. And I remember reading about things and like, oh, this is this person, and this is this country, and this is this. And there's like a certainty with it. Um, I think sometimes we want to attach um, definition to things that we just won't be able to define yeah. because it makes us maybe feel a little bit more comfortable, yeah. um, makes us feel a little bit less uncertain. Yeah. And the reality is, is if COVID has shown us anything, um, we have a very small um, vantage point mm-hmm. on the the vast scope of, of human history. And, and for those of us who, who profess faith in Jesus, our vantage point is actually much greater because we yeah. interpret and see everything through the lens of the cross. 
yeah through the lens of god's grand redemptive uh plan but i do think that like if we're going to say anything we need to speak with humility we need to listen Mm -hmm. um we need to care we need to empathize and uh be very slow to make any predictions um because there's really just it that probably says more about us and our heart than it does about this situation and the state of the world i mean when you look back at all of church history any time there's like a crisis event, whether it be a war or whether it be the French Revolution or any time you, you see kind of the, the ground being unsettled, you know, apocalyptic writing from kind of the, the Christian vein of theology um, heightens mm-hmm. um, in, in the time of crisis. Um, like if you go back and you read all these Christian writings during the French Revolution, like the I mean, they, plague. they like, were convinced yeah. without a shadow of a doubt, like that was the end. Um, and yet here we are recording a deep dive hundreds of years later. Yeah. So I just think we need we need to have some perspective. Mm-hmm. We need to have some humility. And actually, um, I would be so bold to say this: like you typing up your opinion and putting it on Facebook or Twitter um, is actually going to do far less than if you would actually go and pray to the Lord about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. So I, I do think social media, whatever that platform is, gives us this false sense of I'm doing something. I'm doing something. When like, really, you're not. Like, go pray. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, well, hey, let's take a minute maybe and, and pray for yeah. these events. Uh, yeah, Chris, let's do that. you want to pray and then I'll, uh, yeah. I'll pray after you. Absolutely. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we just... Give thanks that you are good and you are true and that you are wise and beautiful even in our moments of crisis. And so we ask um, that your um, hands of healing and peace and comfort and joy would be felt in the regions that um, are in the middle of a crisis right now in, in Ukraine and all the surrounding regions. We pray for the church there in Ukraine, that our brothers and sisters in Christ would be able to find uh, peace, that they would be able to find comfort, that they would be able to um, find the, the resources that they need for their for their families. We pray that this um, conflict would be able to, um, you know, come to a place of, 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 of ceasing before it even gets further escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we want cooler heads, uh, to prevail and, uh, Lord, we just pray that, uh, you would be at work in this situation, which, um, you know, seems so dark and gloomy right now. Um, but Lord, we know that, uh, you love your people, that you, you care for those who bear your image. And so, uh, we just pray that in this situation, the sin of humanity against each other, uh, would be um, limited, um, that that would, would come to an end, um, and that all those who are suffering would um, be able to find uh, comfort. Those who are feeling um, anxious would be able to find something steady, um, and that in all of this there would be reconciliation um, that leads to peace. Mm-hmm. Lord, pray for, uh, for us. Pray for Christians around the world. Uh, who are witnessing um, these events. Often, Lord, we do that from a bubble that we don't even realize is a thing. Um, we don't realize the the suffering and the experiences that, that people around the world um, 
go through and feel on a, on a daily basis until something like this happens and it's, it's thrust to the forefront um, of, our, of our news and of our social media platforms. Um, Lord, give us uh, attentive ears and eyes uh, to those who are suffering in our world. Um, Lord, as, as Christians, uh, we have far more in common with other believers uh, that we've never met and never will uh, who live thousands of miles away from us than, than we even do from uh, those who are in our own backyard who don't, who don't know you. And so would we live with a, a um, would we live out that perspective? Would we live out that calling um, to be uh, witnesses of your good news uh, here um, for those who are in our circles? Uh, who are in our proximity, and uh, Lord, would you just use your church, uh, use your church's creativity and innovation um, to to speak in and make a difference in this situation? Would you uh, strengthen the brothers and sisters in uh, Ukraine and in Russia right now? Um, would you give them perseverance? Would you give them words and presence and posture? Um, and Lord, we just ask that you would intercede, and we ask that uh, you would come. Um, as Matthew 24 says, we don't know when that's going to be, uh, but we do know that you promised to do so. And so would you be present and would you come? We praise your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's go from one mess to another. Uh, Genesis, yeah. end of 29, end of 30. So uh, if you've been following with us, we are kind of tracing uh, the life of Jacob. Um, it's documented in the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at the different relationships that he found himself in. Mm-hmm. And how God worked uh, through those relationships um, to further His plan of redemption, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's interesting, right? This story is is one that's told um, many years after the fact. So I think sometimes whenever we come to the Bible, we think, oh, this is a this is a Twitter feed, right? This is something yeah. that's in real time that's happening, uh, and there's interpretation and there's uh, commentary on events as as they go. Yeah. And that's not the case, right? This story was right. written years later. The story was written to um, Jacob's descendants as they are, you know, yeah. they've left slavery in Egypt. Yeah. And it's written kind of, one, to, to tell them, hey, how they got there in the first place. Yeah. Uh, it's written to help them understand even, okay, hey, we have 12 tribes, like, where did this come from? What yeah. were the events that led to us here? And help us, God, see you working redemptively in those spaces so that we can trust that you'll continue to work redemptively in ours. Yeah. So I think that does give us a little bit of frame of reference because whenever we get into this passage, um, God's not endorsing uh, <laughs> the yeah. marriage situations that Jacob finds himself in, the procreation situations uh, that he you know, is involved in. Um, but God's also a, a very, I want to be cautious how I use this word, reasonable, like in the mm-hmm. sense that like things that are a big deal to us aren't always a big deal to him. Mm. And that's not to say, that's not a moral statement. That's just a God's going to use what is yeah. to further the plan of what needs to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think, too, another thing kind of piggybacking off that is as the Pentateuch is being written, um, the aim of the Pentateuch is not to be written just merely as a, uh objective history textbook um, that just has names and dates mm-hmm. and facts. It's, it's, it's less of a historical. I mean, they do want to know their history. They do want to know where they came from. But it's also meant to shape 
the covenant community mm -hmm. that is post-Egypt um, and is now figuring out who are we mm -hmm. and what has God called us to? Like, who are we supposed to be as a people? So when these things are being recorded, there are good things recorded that they're able to celebrate and say, oh, our mm -hmm. forebears got that one right. Mm -hmm. um, we should celebrate that and emulate that action of faith. There's also a lot of scenarios where it's messy and horrible. Good chunk of the book of Genesis. <laughs> Good chunk of the book of Genesis. And they can say, oh, our forebears were unwise and sinful and did this incorrectly. Let's not do Let's that. Let's not follow that. Again, right? Um, so sometimes I picture like, you know, Maybe people can relate to grandparents or great-grandparents, like, telling mm -hmm. stories about, you know, their parents or their siblings. You know, you get these family stories that are passed down, and some of the most funny ones are of people doing some really stupid stuff, right? Yeah. And there's kind of the moment of, you know, poking fun a little bit, but, um, you know, and, and it helps us to kind of understand our parents when they were younger and what our grandparents yeah. were like when they were younger, um, and, and hopefully in that we get to... We get to celebrate and we get to to learn from the mistakes. So yeah. it's it's a shaping text, and it's not going to remove the the warts and mm -hmm. the things that are ugly mm -hmm. because those are actually supposed to shape the covenant community as to say, let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and one of the cool things, one of the coolest things, maybe the coolest thing um, about the way God works is that he cares about the past. Yeah. He does. Um, but there's always a chance at a new future. Yeah. And a new story. Yeah. And just because even the pages of Genesis or the pages of Jacob's life, um, you know, are, are well behind us, doesn't mean the story's done. Yeah. So in, uh, in Genesis 29 and 30, uh, and chapter 30, uh, we see, we're just going to summarize it just because it's long. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of repetitive in this. You have this marriage, right? As we, we come off of last week. This thruple. This thruple. Um, yes. <laughs> thruple. It's a modern, <laughs> modern, you know, we think, we th nothing new under the sun, guys. Um, so we have this, this guy, Jacob, who, mm -hmm. you know, last week we saw he's married to two women. Yes. And he has different affections for the two women. Yeah, he prefers Rachel over Leah. Yeah. Quite obviously. Very obviously. Yeah. Um, and the text tells us Leah bears like four sons like right out of the gate. Right. So that doesn't make Rachel feel very good. Right. Because she desperately wants to. She's envious. She's envious. Mm -hmm. She's Jacob's favorite. Yeah. Jacob wants to have kids with Rachel. And it seems like the Lord grants that to Leah. And, and you know, I'm not entirely sure if that's out of a... Um, you know, Leah being overlooked and in Leah's pain and afflictions. But it does seem like those first children are granted to Leah. Um, you know, and I wonder if part of that is the Lord drawing near to the brokenhearted. Because if you're Leah, that's yeah. got to be extremely difficult. Oh, I guess. That the only reason you end up in that marriage is because your father deceived the guy that married you. Mm -hmm. And now he likes your little sister way more than you. Yeah. Like, that's really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I think you're right, Chris. And I, the parallel I think that we're going to draw is uh, obviously we probably don't have too many of these situations in our churches where we have people married yeah. to you know two women and then having kids with mm -hmm. you know women servants and yeah. and yet 
that's not to say that we can't assume maybe certain questions were being asked or things were certain were being felt. And in, and in marriage, um, I think one of the, the tragedies of the, you know, the, the romanticized love story yeah. is that it, they're not true stories. Mm-hmm. And in marriage, uh, it, there's two people who are broken, mm-hmm. who come together, um, who bring their brokenness with them. Yeah. Who bring their expectations. Their family of origin. Their family of origin, their yeah. hopes for the future. Yeah. Uh, their assumptions, their identity, their ego, all of these things mesh. And so there's no real perfect marriage. Yeah. Um, so some of the things that, that, again, and this is maybe a much exaggerated story, but exaggerated in, in, in scope, not exaggerated in reality, that I think that there's something here for the person who finds themselves in a marriage, but maybe they're not happy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of unhappiness and discontentment within this marital system that we see in Jacob. Mm -hmm. And even in that messiness and discontentment and things going sideways often, um, even in all of that, warts and all, the Lord is going to work to fulfill his purposes. And uh, as Dr. Collins reminds us, judgment is never the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And so they're actually – we would just be – well, to remind ourselves that there is a horizon, mm-hmm. there is a holy God at work, um, and if we believe the promises of the Bible are true, then f- for those who love the Lord, things will be worked out for their good, even if there's a lot of not good mm-hmm. <laughs> in the interim mm-hmm. um, and messiness and brokenness. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good word. Um, so yeah, in this story, Rachel, uh, she ends up you know having two sons at the end. Um, yes. Jacob finds himself having twelve kids. Yeah. Right with with multiple women. Yes. Um, this becomes the the basis of the twelve tribes of Israel. Yes. As God re- redeems or at least uses this story and uses his family redemptively. Yeah. Um, we're gonna see. I think maybe next week, Jacob go back to his you know. He's had his time away, and mm-hmm. he's going to then go back, um, you know, to his place of, of origin. Um, but there's something in here that we've kind of joked about, but it's a, it just kind of pops up funny. So the mandrakes, right? What what is this? Uh, it's like a Harry Potter thing. If you're a Harry Potter fan, right? They have yes. the mandrakes that you know the little plants they pop out of the soil, and it's like a person underneath it screams. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. This is whenever I read text like this and I, I encounter something that's yeah. so distant from, like, my mm-hmm. realm of existence. Yeah. It's like, what do I do with this? Yeah, so just like an hour ago, I was looking at pictures of main drakes, and alarmingly enough, they actually do in real life look pretty similar to, like, the Harry Potter portrayal <laughs> of what a mandrake is. Uh, but, yeah, it's basically a rooty plant that kind of has, um, you know – a leafy appearance above the surface, kind of at the top, almost like a carrot would. Mm -hmm. And then it's got this kind of root system that kind of looks like almost like a ginger root, Mm. but it is kind of a little more of a humanoid shape to it. I mean, they're very ugly. They're a very weird plant. Um, 
and I can't say this with, with certainty because I'm not a botanist by any stretch of the imagination, but um, mandrakes are used very infrequently in our modern context. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes when they are used, it's kind of like a Hail Mary remedy. And sometimes even for like there's some superstition around fertility mm. in the mandrake. Um so I'm not claiming this, but I just wonder if, if there's value in the mandrakes um, for Rachel because mm-hmm. there's a fertility connotation to the plant mm. itself. Um, but yeah, we see Leah's son, Reuben, is out picking him. He comes back and, um, you know, obviously Rachel really wants them and they kind of have this very awkward trade mm-hmm. of mandrakes for a night with Jacob, mm-hmm. um, which just leads to further discontentment and pain and mm-hmm. brokenness because children come out of that. Yeah, I think anytime um, relationships turn into transactional, yeah, like that's just not a like that's not the that's not the design for relationships, right? And um, how many of our relationships <laughs> do we just treat as transactional, right? Yeah. Well, how many of our marriages do we treat Mm. as transactional? I mean, I think so many of us would admit, like, yeah, like we legitimately love our spouse. Mm -hmm. But I think at our worst, we function in a way that's a little more transactional of, um, ooh, should I keep a ledger of the last 10 to 15 things that have annoyed me or that I perceive that they've done wrong? Um, You know, because oftentimes at our worst, we'll keep that ammo for like a moment where we're getting poked at. And then it's like, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, six months ago, you know, and and that just speaks to a very transactional of you do right by me. I do right by you. It's a one to one ratio. And in this, all things are equal when in reality, not all things are equal. Like there are seasons where you are more dependent. There are more seasons when the other person is more dependent on you. I mean, all of this is wrapped up into the marriage covenant Mm -hmm. and all this gets really messy because even though you leave your family of origin and your mother and father to be uh, covenanted with your spouse, the place that you leave has shaped you Mm -hmm. for the first 20, Mm -hmm. 30, 40, 50 years of your life. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing all that sin and the brokenness into the relationship. And so we would say, yeah, covenantal, but then at our worst, we act in very transactional ways, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and even if we don't use the thing as a grenade to launch at the other, we might use it as a thing for us to justify like some selfishness or yeah. um, like I've earned some this. passivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's really good. So so we're going to see, you know, as the story continues, right, judgment's not the end of the story. Yeah. Um, these bad moments, these these moral failures are not the end of the story. God is going to work redemptively, mm-hmm. um, and he promises to be with Jacob. Jacob's going to have a wrestling match here that <laughs> uh, uh, comes up as yeah. well. And anyway, so anyway, this has been a – it's been a good story. It's been a good study, I think. Um, anytime we can look at Scripture and, you know, draw um, questions that we're asking, um, yeah. that's, a, that's a good practice. But – before we go, um, Chris, I just wanted to ask ask you uh, when you're preaching texts like this. Yeah, <laughs> and we only have like a minute, so this is probably not uh, not fair for me to to ask. Yeah, uh, you to you know give a concise answer in just like a minute or so. But um, what's the hardest part of taking like an Old Testament narrative and applying it to our modern situation? I think the the modern, or if I'm even more specific, the postmodern reader will read occurrences in the Bible, and because they are present, 
they will assume there is an affirmation, which mm-hmm. is a critical reading error. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this situation where we see the thruple, where we see polygamy, um, the Bible is not endorsing this kind of unhealthy polygamous relationship. Mm. Actually, we're presented with all the horrible things that arise in this situation as a, a shaping it's God's breath on the page shaping us of what not to do. Mm. So I think oftentimes the modern, postmodern reader will read about a war or a polygamous relationship or something that pretty brutal that happens in the Old Testament, and they'll say, I can't trust it because it's an endorsement. It's not an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a critique. Mm. That's really good. And so I try to draw people into that. That's really good. Chris, thanks for this yeah. conversation. Um, you can find this deep dive and more on our website, calvary.church slash resources. Uh, we have other information resources for this series as well, calvary.church slash relationship series. And we will look forward to connecting with you again next week as we continue in our study. See you guys. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.